Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I am so super duper excited about uh, my guest with me here today, a longtime key figure in queer nightlife, actress and singer Peppermint Sheher, regularly performs to sold out crowds around the world. She has released five albums, which are available on all streaming platforms. Peppermint can currently be seen on Out TV Goes Translation. In this weekly roundtable talk series, former contestants of RuPaul's Drag Race, Peppermint, Jiggly Caliente, Sonique, and Carmen Carrera sit together to discuss various topics, including politics and dating as they relate to their trans identities. Peppermint, who is the ACLU's first ever artist ambassador for trans justice, has raised six-figure sums for prominent LGBT rights groups, partnered with MAC Cosmetics, MAC AIDS Fund, and is involved in the HIV Vaccine Trials Network. She partnered with RuPaul Drag Race winner Sasha Velour for a college speaking tour that focused on the challenges faced by transgender and non-binary people in today's political climate, among various other topics. Peppermint takes every available opportunity to speak at universities and to various communities on the issues. Peppermint is currently nominated for a 2022 GLAAD Media Award in the Outstanding Online Journalism category for her contribution to the Discovery Plus Legendary Series. Previous honors include GLAAD Media Award nomination alongside Lady Gaga and Kalani for Outstanding Music Artist and was named one of Out Magazine's Out 100 Portfolio of the Most Influential LGBTQ People of the Year, plus many more. You can catch Peppermint in the upcoming summer rom-com movie Fire Island alongside Saturday Night Lives and TIFCO alum Bowen Yang and Margaret Cho, premiering on Hulu on June 3rd. Peppermint. Welcome, welcome. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I um I I got so much information to read for your bio and this is like a third of it and I just because it was so hard to choose what to include. <laughs> you, you're doing so much. Thank you. I you know, it's not until you sit and listen to somebody read your bio that you realize, oh my goodness. I did a few things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I just recently launched a new website where I was like building it with my designer in like pieces. And then, but once it's all there, I was like, holy moly, I do a lot of stuff. I'm tired. How is your, how is your day going so far? You're it's on- fabulous. You're the first thing of my day. Ooh, that's exciting. I'm starting be- it with you. So that's wonderful. Well, I hope this sets the rest of your, oh my gosh, happy Trans Day of Visibility. That should have been the first thing I said. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be a very packed day, given that it is Trans Day of Visibility when we're taping this. Yeah. What um, Are you allowed to share any of the other kinds of gigs or events that you'll be doing? 
Yeah, well, I'll be doing a couple of podcasts, a mm-hmm. couple of interviews, and a few things for social media. Uh, I mean, you know, I won't tell exactly what they are until they, because some of them are pre-taped and, you know, but they're yeah. all um, related to the community, you know, mm-hmm. um, obviously. And so I'm excited for that. Amazing. Well, we'll all keep our our uh, ears and eyes and eyes senses out. Peeled. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we all have multiple coming out stories, multiple coming into ourselves stories. And I would love to hear one of those stories. Yeah. Oh, can you hear me? I can. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, we, I certainly have probably a hundred coming out stories, mm-hmm. you know, because, and this is obviously not something that's unique to me, but definitely there's at least two major coming out stories that seem to be built in for transgender people or people who are sort of coming out and have a a shift in their thinking around not only their sexuality, but also their gender. And so I have at least two, but I have many, many, many. One of them is probably more prominent because it played out on national television (laughs) Um, but that's not the one that I want to share today because when I came out on came out to the people in the room on RuPaul's Drag Race I was already out to myself and to the world as trans and so I think that's probably why I would imagine that's why so many of us have more than one coming out story because there's lots of people to tell Mm -hmm. you know yeah and I think the the way that's worked best for me, at least, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm fully out now, but the way that's worked best for me is to, you know, surround myself with people that I know that I love and then tell them one at a time. That was like, that's, that seems to be the classic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know anymore. certainly pre social media. That was the way that it was happening. I, I know that these days there's a lot of, there seems to be um, other methods that people can just like make a post, which I don't know what that experience is like. Probably nerve wracking, mm-hmm. but my earliest coming out story was uh, when I was very young, I was in second grade and up until, I mean, all the way from birth, all the way, as a youngster, I'd always been super swishy, super femme, super not into sports mm-hmm. <laughs> and really into <clears throat> playing dress up and sort of all of these stereotypical things that you can think of when you think of somebody who might be flamboyant and femme. Um, although there are, certainly are flamboyant people who are very much into sports. My assistant being one of them, Jake. It it surprises me every time I clutch my pearls. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you want to watch what? (laughs) You know the score? 
<laughs> yeah, what? You know the teams? <laughs> What's happening? Um, but I digress. So I was one of the the basic flamboyant <laughs> gals. Uh, and I always got teased for that. You know, obviously, I always got teased for being too phlegm, too phlegm, too femme, too flamboyant, too, too swishy and called a girl and all of this. I never denied it. That's one of the things I'm quite proud of. When they would call me a girl and, you know, from a very young age and I guess kindergarten, preschool, school, they I never denied it. And yes, contrary to what Governor DeSantis and others may think, young, young, young children are well aware of sexuality and gender. Mm-hmm. roles at that age i can attest and so uh while i was <laughs> with you know withstanding all of the gender policing that was happening in my younger days uh i became really i think that's when i developed this sense that i i think a lot of queer people share you know, in addition to developing what we call gaydar, mm-hmm. which we should probably rename, but that's what we call it. Um, I think that queer people also develop a sort of a a spidey sense of what's going on around them. Yeah. Who is, you know, possibly a threat? Who is maybe open and... a you know, sort of represents a safe space. Um, and so it was, I've developed that really early on, probably in large part by, you know, based on who was teasing me, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to identify characteristics um, that I still use to this day to sort of suss out, you know, ooh, who might potentially be, you know, n- an unsafe person to be around. And I had the unique experience, it's probably not that typical, of encountering somebody who just seemed so different than everybody else in school, the teachers that I'd really ever met. And this was a young student who transferred in from... Well, a young student who was new in my class didn't transfer in. He was just new Hmm. um, at, you know, that year in second grade. Because, you know, you're with the same kids for a few years, you know. And so he was new in second grade. We had all been, we had all, we had already been in first grade, honey. We knew the the run of the the lay of the land. (laughs) Right. And so there's this new kid and he's very, very different. He is Irish, like straight up from Ireland. So he's European and obviously immigrated, has an Irish, a thick old Irish accent. And he was just very different. And so that was like, there was a, he wasn't aggressive towards me. He wasn't judgmental towards me. Uh, And so he was just like this, you know, Cactus in the OA in the in the in the desert, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I 
so I found it, I found it very comforting just to be around him mm. because he wasn't attacking me. He wasn't, you know, seemingly judging me. And, um, and so we, we were friends and he seemed to not care that I was flamboyant and all of these things. So obviously queer and, you know, even though I didn't really have, even though none of us had the language that we're using today mm -hmm. to describe um, young trans folks, uh, it was quite obvious and very clear <laughs> mm -hmm. that I would, be, you could use any of these words to describe me because they all fit. Um, and so one day we were out by the slides and, you know, I just, I guess I felt so much pressure and just been so fed up with all of the other kids uh, making fun of me and, and not even feeling safe to talk about any of these things at home with my mm. family. So this was the one human being in the world that I had met. And I don't remember exactly at what point in the school year I'd made the decision, but for dramatic effect, let's just say it was the last day of school. Mm, love it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so here's my chance to really connect and tell my truth to this person. So I did. Um, I brought him to the side. So we were, you know, isolated from everybody on the playground by the slides. And I, 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 I know I was so stressed and so nervous, which is so interesting. Somebody so young feeling that kind of pressure. Mm -hmm. I was in second grade. So I was what, nine, something like that. Maybe even Eight. younger. Yeah. Something I don't even know. Yeah. And, um, and so I told him, I was like, listen, and I can say his name because I have his permission. Gavin. Gavin Downs. Um, I'm, uh, I'm different. It's what I said. Mm -hmm. And he knew exactly what I was talking about. Mm. He was like, it's okay. It's okay. I don't care. It's okay. You're still cool. And he was very comforting in that wow. moment. Um, and so that was the first of many coming out moments that I had. And it was incredibly young. These days, it seems probably normal, or at least it's not unheard of, to encounter young queer kids, gay kids, trans kids, non-binary folks who are that young. Because we see them on social media, and we're, we're starting to hear and see more of them. And they are very brave, just as brave, for sure. But uh, thinking back to 19, probably 85, 86, 87, depending on how old I was, that just was not normal. I mm -hmm. just had never heard of or seen another kid that was out about, you know, their queerness. There certainly were other youngsters and other classmates who 
obviously grew up to be <laughs> um, and came out at a later date. But there wasn't a bunch of like, there wasn't like the gay table mm-hmm. at school, you know, that just was not a thing. And so it was, um, that's probably, that's why it stand, that moment stands out so much for me. And I think it's very key based on how that c- would have gone. Yeah. I may have made different decisions in connecting with and coming out and finding community. Yeah. So thank you, Gavin. Thank you so much for sharing. And so it sounds like you're still in touch with Gavin. Can you believe it? I All love of that. these years later, we are of course on, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, cause we, we, we stayed, you know, we stayed in touch because we were in school together through the years. And even, we even went to the same high school mm. and we didn't remain as close. And I'm not even sure that we were terribly close with each other when we first met, like when we were in second grade, he was just another school classmate who was very nice and considerate to me. Mm-hmm. Not to diminish our connection. You know, I certainly would like to consider him a friend, but we never, you know, he didn't take the opportunity to, or or feel the need to unload on me or share, you know, the deepest thoughts that he was having about his life. And I'm sure that there were things that about himself or his life that he may have wanted to share with someone that he was close with. Uh, but in that moment in time, he just, it was apparent that I needed someone and he was willing to be that person. Um, and so, yeah, we, we always had that connection and, you know, I don't think there was ever a moment, even growing up in high school and, and where he had his crowd and I certainly had mine, um, you know, and I, I did face a little bit of teasing in high school and, and other times as well, um, but he was never a part of any of that. And and so he always just was very approachable to me, which I really appreciate. And I did have the chance to thank him mm. on uh, <laughs> through Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I messaged him and told him how, uh, how that, that was probably a two minute scenario, but it was uh, very, it impacted me greatly. And how grateful I was for for him making those the decisions, whatever series of decisions he made, to um, support me or just be there and available for me to feel safe to come to him. Um, I thanked him for that, whether he whether it was intentional or not. Um, I thanked him for it, and uh, and he, you know. He acknowledged and and we talked a little bit about it. And so, yeah, he's a great guy. That's really special. And it's I think it's so nice, too, that you had the opportunity to thank him later. I think for I I have tried to in my older years to not only thank the people who were those people for me, but also to apologize to the people that I unloaded on because of my insecurities and my fear of being queer that I put it on other people, which is. I still have shame blankets about it, um, but I try as much as I can to apologize. So it's, that's a good thing in social media is being able to reach those people. Yeah. 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 
Um, it's interesting that you brought up this like gaydar or like a spidey sense. I was talking to who I think is a mutual friend, Carmen Laboo. You know, Carmen? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we had coffee the other day and we were talking about just stuff. And I brought up this I, the idea of not only gaydar, but how it should be called something else. But <laughs> of, of just like being able to recognize for me, like, like you were saying, like the, my sense, my um, space around me, like, am I safe? Who's, who is a safe person? Who is a threat? But also I have a, a, an, an ability, eh, I don't know what to call it that, to like sense other queer people, even before they know that they're queer. And I wonder if that's somehow like built into that, like, in seeking safe people, like I, there's a vibration about you that's recognizable. Do you know what I mean? Yes, of course. And mm-hmm. I think that's, I, I think that is, you know, like recognizes like, and, and so, um, I would think that's just the the reverse end of this quote unquote gaydar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though these folks aren't. Because certainly those folks who are, have not yet come into their own Mm -hmm. as queer individuals, I'm very sure (laughs) that they know who else is queer around them Mm -hmm. before having the conversation about it. Yeah. You know, or or hearing that that person is queer. I mean, it's not absolute, but I do think that, that, we're born with this sense and this, you know, some of it is developed, but certainly some of it, I think we are born with. Um, And I would like to make it a little more cosmic in that, excuse me, um, Dr. Angela Davis, who I interviewed um, a couple of years ago as a part of Black Queer Town Hall, which is an event um, that I put together with Bob the Drag Queen that focuses on Blackness, queerness, and Black queerness. Um, we spoke to Dr. Angela Davis when we were honoring uh, her, and she said something really, really interesting, and, you know, I'd like to think of it as profound. It's not that, it's not so surprising to me, um, but sort of in the same vein that we as queer folks do have this developed sense of who's around us and, and also of, I believe because of the sort of, um, because of the way the world works today and the amount of obstacles that there can be between, you know, wherever you are and then connecting with your <clears throat> fully realized self as a queer individual. I think there's a lot of self, um, you know, reflection and and evaluation that goes on as queer person in today's society. And so we are, I think, uh, oftentimes more in touch with who we really are Hmm. than the average individual who, let's just say if they're cis and cisgender and they're not, um, they haven't, if they haven't really, you know, um, considered the impact that they have on the world around them and, and 
you know, thought about their gender and thought about their sexuality in a way that is specific to them, as opposed to just what everybody's doing because I was born there and that's what everybody's doing. Not trying to editorialize the cisgender experience, but um, I'm assuming it goes something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since they don't have that pressure to really like self-evaluate and it seems apparent because I date so many um, heterosexual cisgender people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they oftentimes are very much just on the surface. <laughs> mm-hmm. They operate on the surface at zero level of depth. Uh, sorry to generalize, guys, <laughs> but it's true. Um, <laughs> and, you know, on the contrary, queer folks in general, there are certainly lots of, I've met my fair share of vapid gay folks but, mm-hmm. and trans folks. But uh, at one point or another, I think it does take a, a lot more self-reflection. So in that same vein, I think uh, I, I was really able to understand what Dr. Angela Davis was saying or meant when she said uh, that trans and non-binary folks uh, who operate on a different gender sphere Mm. um, are are not only outside of the box, outside of what people would call the norm. And this is not the quote. I can't remember exactly what she said. Mm -hmm. I should look it up. But she basically was saying that people who are trans and non-binary have found the key to living freely outside of a very rigid box of gender um, and are therefore sort of have unlocked <laughs> what 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 we're supposed to be doing uh, when thinking outside of the box with ourselves and, and sort of exploring more about what humanity can be and show and a key to the future of what humanity can be, what what human what gender for humans can look like, what sexuality for humans can look like. And and that sort of freeness is is a threat to mm-hmm. other people who um depend on those very rigid norms to sort of control other people. That is a very long way of saying what Dr. Angela Davis said. She said it so much more eloquently. Well, I thought what you said was very eloquent. I was hanging on every word. And it really is like, I think about that too, of like it being a key of unlocking. And then as you were explaining that again, I just like, my first thought was like, there's such a price to that freedom. Like the freedom of being out of that binary box that people kept, you know, I'll speak in the first person, like putting me in that I did not belong in. There's, you know, I feel so much more free being an out gender queer trans person who's making all the decisions for myself and like, but operating still in a world that's not built for me. And so there's yeah. like such a price yeah. for that. And it's like, you're saying like people aren't willing to see already, maybe paraphrasing, paraphrasing a little bit to see maybe they, you know, because it's so, I feel like it's, I'm, now I'm losing myself, but it's, it's, for me, it feels both extremely liberating and also very hard <laughs> to be. 
It is tiresome. It's so tiresome. And it's like a matter of what do I want? I guess like, what do I have the energy for? I don't even know. I don't even know how to say it because I'm just like still trying to figure it out. (laughs) To that point, another author, uh, I'm not sure if you read A Transgender History. I didn't. By Susan Stryker. Everybody go read this book. I'm writing it down. Oh my God, I read it so fast. And honey, I do not like to read. <laughs> and I read this thing so fast. The, the And again, I don't have the quote, but there's a section in the book where or there's an idea that, that the author, Susan Stryker, um, you know, talks about uh, probably more than once, but essentially says that queer folks in general, are minority, people who are minorities, who fit into a minority, and certainly those who live at certain intersections mm-hmm. uh, are usually more politically active mm-hmm. because we have a lot less to lose and a lot more to gain, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. simply put. and And so... You know, and I mean, that's obvious, but it really crystal, when I read this a few years ago um, in her book, it really crystallized for me Mm -hmm. that notion of why am I so always at every march, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. There you have it. We are just more um, politically active and, and much, we're we're always fighting for, for our rights if you're a part of an oppressed class. It's just human nature to fight for what you deserve and don't have. And so we are, uh, we we as queer folks, certainly my lineage as a Black person um, come from a long line of activists and, and um, protesters and things like that. It reminded me because you were saying like the people who are the most marginalized are the ones fighting the hardest. And it's like, why can't everyone fight? Like, why aren't we all fighting every second of every day? Because we are all affected by this. There's another person of note. It's kind of unrelated. Um, I'm not sure exactly how, how they identify. Um. I think they use she, her pronouns. Um, Sonia Renee Taylor, mm-hmm. who is, do you know, do you know Sonia Renee Taylor? I know. Yeah. I, um, I just bought her book, but I haven't read it yet. Okay. Uh, and so she is fabulous. Um, and I follow her on all of her platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't bought her book. Um, the, um, one of the things she said in in reference to and in response to the most recent Oscars moment, mm. um, which I don't want to really go into that, but um, sp- speaking in uh, about like what people are calling toxic masculinity and violence uh, was really interesting. We're in this age right now where we have access to, not everyone does, uh, and this is a recent, like two days ago, obviously it's very recent, mm-hmm. post on her um, Instagram, uh, I think it's an 
like an IGTV or something. It's a video that's a couple minutes long. We are in this age where we have a lot more enlightenment and new, what she calls awarenesses about our bodies, about, uh, you know, um, you know, consent and, and gender and race and, you know, um, harm and just all of these different types of awarenesses. And, but we have the same old tools. Mm-hmm. And in terms of how we deal with situations or problems or conflicts. And certainly folks who are socialized as cisgender men have even, have a very limited set of tools mm-hmm. that they have been taught to use when dealing with a problem. And it usually involves lashing out, anger, aggression, so on. And uh, and so that sort of, you know, what what you said really resonates with me in that we don't have a lot of the same, we as queer folks, I'm not saying that we are using anger all the time, mm-hmm. but we, we as humans have a limited set of tools that we're, that we're working with. And, and just, it just means that they're very, you know, regardless of how enlightened we are or not right now, we only have, we all have access to the same tools. And I think it needs, we need to, um, I agree with Sonia that we need to, it would behoove us to develop a new set of tools that we can easily give to others to help us on this journey. Because right now being an ally really has a very limited scope of like, what, what, what does it mean to be an ally? What Mm -hmm. does it mean for the person who is an ally and what in return, what's their impact? Uh, You know, traditionally it's a very lip. It's like, I'm, I'll support you from a distance, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that one of the things that has to happen is we have to, and it's so important. I mean, here's my plan. Mm. Number one, in light of um, the obvious impending potential um, uh, uh, danger that Roe v. Wade is in, mm-hmm. uh, it's very important that we acknowledge uh, trans mask folks in the conversation of reproductive justice uh, yeah. and the right to choose abortion and things like that. Uh, they are a part of this discussion. It, you know, the the right to choose uh, is a, a women's right, but it's also a, a, a right of people who aren't women mm-hmm. um, who can still give birth. So it'd be one, I think one of the, the pathway um, to wherever it is that we want to go includes crossing that bridge um then the next one not i'm not quantifying but another one that is important in in whichever order uh but i think that that concept is more more graspable Mm -hmm. um for folks who are not a part of the lgbtq plus community is the notion that non-binary folks even more so than trans folks I believe, sort of in the same vein as what Dr. Uh, Angela Davis was saying, are the key. If we can become, you know, non-binary, genderqueer, and gender expansive folks who are not, who are not settled into the binary, because I'm trans, but I am very much into the, into the binary for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think the key, though, is being able to be free of a lot of those things, those isms, and those things that come along with whatever the binary is, um, instead of being shackled to them, being able to not being shackled and tied to them, I think is the key to a very specific freedom, not saying that genderqueer and and non-binary folks enjoy, I I can't experience, I can't editorialize anyone else's experience, but I think humanity would be much better off if we all had a better understanding of um, gender in that way. Um, And, and acts and understanding that we can all access it. Mm -hmm. Um, regardless of what that prescribes for us. And then a more, but, and then another palatable notion, so that's two. And then the third one in no, again, no order necessarily is folks being able to see themselves as a part of our community, even if they don't individually identify as queer mm. or as gay or as bi or any of these things. Um, and I also want to go back and mention that I think that folks who are pansexual um, provide a very um, uh, important and essential view on sexuality, just as you folks who are gender queer and and, and non-binary um, present in terms of gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I would be great if folks who um, consider themselves progressive don't are okay to see themselves as a part of the queer community. And I don't mean to say that, Oh, you're all gay or that they have the same struggles and um, experiences that people who actually are LGBTQ face, but it's important if we're going to get to where we need to go, which is not being persecuted Mm -hmm. and having laws written about us that renege all of the rights that we already have. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's essential that those who have more have access to those to those freedoms without being attacked for them um, are able to see us for who we are and connect with us and and sort of. Oh, I won't use a NATO reference because that's certainly not where (laughs) I want to (laughs) go. View view an attack on a queer person over there as an attack on, on themselves as well. Um, And for that, I think they need to holistically be, see themselves as a part of the queer community. I believe that someone can be queer and a part of the queer community and still be cisgender, heterosexual, you know, and Mm -hmm. all of the things that are not typically LGBTQ plus. Yeah. Yeah, that that resonates so much. Like queering, just like queering politics, queering the way that we view things is like, you know, breaking Mm -hmm. outside of the quote unquote norm. I'm totally with you on that. I was talking about that the other day too, of all of the work that the queer community has done, specifically Black trans women, is creating space for people, for all people to be able to express themselves however it is, whether it literally was just having this conversation. So I'm so glad you said it too. It's very affirming. Um, time is flying and I wish I could talk to you. I could talk to you forever, um, but I don't have forever. I only have a few minutes. And so um, I want to move us into our last kind of section of the conversation, yes. which is just a very fun, lighthearted lightning round of questions. 
Um, the first few, <laughs> the first few seasons, they were like either or questions. And I got a lot of pushback of like, Hey, why are you so binary? So <laughs> <laughs> I gender queered these up and they're open-ended except one. Cause I couldn't get rid of it. So just as quick as you can all for fun. So if you could name okay. your own crayon, what would you name it? Gosh. Tur- turqu- turquoise Alicia. I love that. <laughs> uh, your favorite time of day? Mm, the time where I get to decide to stay in bed. Ooh, whatever a, time that is. That's a very good one. <laughs> um, your favorite current queer media representation? Uh, we'll go with Sonia Renee Taylor right now. Mm, love it. A song that makes your heart soar. Uh, girl like me. Oh no! Wait, wait, no. That's my song. Excuse <laughs> me. That makes my heart sore because I wrote it. But there's another song called "A Girl from the Gutter" by mm. an artist named Kina. Everyone should check it out. Beautiful. Favorite beverage? Mmm, peppermint tea. Mm. Okay, and surprise, <laughs> right? Bagels or donuts? Oh, uh, bagels. Yes, that's the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Peppermint, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing so much with us. It was it was such a true honor and privilege. Mm-hmm. Dubs, thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. And I'm, um, yeah, now I'm fully raring to go for transgender day of visibility so thank you yes thank you and thank you for coming out absolutely thank you for coming out